Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Tuesday, May 21st, 2019, and you know what that means. It's time to get nerdy, y'all. Welcome to episode number 103 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. I'm Lom, also known as Mr. Nice Guy, and I've got my comrade in gaming commentary here with me, the miggity 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 Mac, also known as Maction. Mac, what's good, buddy? How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's been a fantastic week. How are you? Dude, I'm doing really, really well, man. I have an interesting story that happened, um, if you want to hear it. I would love to, please. Dude, so it's not that interesting, but basically, I got a flat tire. So I woke up uh, yesterday, and I was going to go hit the gym. I've been hitting the gym at like 6 or 6.30 every morning, trying to get, trying to get fit, man. Trying to live longer. So anyway, I'm about to drive to the gym up the street. And my, my tire's flat on my car, so I'm like, well, I'm not going to the gym today. So I get ready for work. Uh, I pump the tire up enough so I can drive on it safely. Drive to a little place. I won't say the name of it, but it rhymes with Fallmart to their auto center. And anytime I go to this auto center, it's <laughs> it's one of those fool me twice, or excuse me, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me type of things. Because I keep mm-hmm. going there occasionally, and I just shouldn't. So I get there at seven um, when they open, and the guy says we can't look at your car till nine thirty or ten. Because um, and I was like, well, you're a tire tire shop, right? You said that you open anyway. Long story short, they said they can't look at it. They end up looking at it much earlier. They fix the tire. It's like thirteen bucks. I'm happy. I'm on my way. I drive on the freeway to work. I drive on the freeway home. My wife drove the car that day. Uh, we're good. So I wake up uh, again. Going to go to the gym again. Go out to my car, flat tire again, same tire. So now I'm a little bit irritated, so I get ready to go. I do the same thing. It's kind of like that movie Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Have, if you've ever seen it, it's like deja vu, man. It's like Inception, um, but with flat tires. So I drive back over, and I'm like, hey, you guys said you fixed this. It's still it's still flat, or it was flat before I pumped it up. Uh, they look at it again. They're like, oh, you ran through another nail. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. I ran through another nail on the exact same tire. Are you sure there's not a chance that you just didn't properly patch the tire? Um, and they, they, you know what, Mac? They would not admit any fault. They just said, you need to get a new tire. And I was like, absolutely, because I don't want you to have to fix this again. So I had to buy a new tire. They deducted the price of the patch. And as I'm telling this story, I'm thinking maybe it's not as interesting as I thought it was. No, um, no, it, it's a great story. It just highlights the dangers of doing as you do, and that is driving through, what, I don't know, work zones on your way to work? Apparently uh, or through on the, nail factories? On the freeway, yeah. Sometimes I drive through the nail factory, um, and, and today it finally caught up with me. So anyway, Mac, that was my past couple days. Um, I also did a lot of comedy um, the past couple days, man. I did, uh, I did the Kenosha Comedy Club in Wisconsin. On Friday, that was a cool, cool club. I had a lot of time, a lot of fun there. Uh, and then I did this show called—I uh, can't remember the name of the show—but it was at the Crowd Theater in Chicago on Saturday night. So that was fun, man. Tell me about your week. I've just talked for like three and a half minutes straight. Um, so it is a sober time, a time of reflection and sorrow, as um, I have to say that I have discovered, and and it happened a while ago, but I only just discovered that the small perlers. Like these little teeny tiny ones. Ooh, Mega um, Man. They have been discontinued by Perler, essentially. No way. Yeah, they're still going to be selling like these multi packs that like you 
buy it and it comes with like uh you know uh eight different colors uh but basically they're just burning through their old stock and we'll see how long that lasts so i am a little bit crushed that uh, I feel like I've only just barely started to really enjoy making stuff with the tiny perlers, and uh, now I I can't really get an effective supply anymore. So um, uh, you have are to make other... your own, dude. You have to just make them your own on your own. Uh, I am not a good enough materials design chemist to uh, to nor do I have sufficient equipment or quality control to make that work, Mister Nice Guy. Uh, you you greatly overestimate my skills. Bless you. You're horribly unrealistic man no but, worries man i do what i do but uh but i'm going to be reaching out to some other opportunities but i'm but it's you know it's sad i found that out and it kind of crushed me a little bit um but we can't end on a low note we gotta gotta keep going and, and get a high note in there um so we had uh um uh, three different games uh tabletop rpg games uh this weekend um some of them were quite fun some of them were a little bit slow uh, but you know, all in all, uh, a, a real fun weekend. I played a bunch of, uh, games, uh, that I haven't played in a while. And we'll talk more about those later. And, uh, Mrs. The Mac and I just kind of had a lovely week. Um, all in all, it's just been really fun. I've, I've had a good week and I did not drive through any nail factories. So I did not have to go through the same issues that you're coping with now. No worries, man. Well, hey, on a positive note for me, can I plug one thing real quick and then we'll get to what we do best? Uh, I don't know, Mr. Nice Guy. Maybe if this was your show, you could plug something. But All uh, right, I'll hold off on plugging anything No, else. no, plug it, plug it, please. <laughs> so I'm going to be a guest on uh, the LDS Gamers podcast. They're a group of, uh, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and uh, they're going to be, they do a podcast where they talk about gaming. It's not a doctrinal or really even a religious podcast. They just talk about video games. Uh, they're going to be talking to me about the comedy special and about what I do on the side with podcasting and Twitch and stand up. So uh, it should be fun. That's going to be Thursday. Uh, and I believe it is at 9 p.m. Mountain, or no, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Their channel is twitch.tv backslash LDS Gamers if anyone wants to tune in. And Mac, on that note, I say we do what we do best and hop right into the gaming news, my friend. What do you think about that? Let's do. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is episode number 103 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. We're 103% of the way to 100 episodes, Mac. How do you feel about that? Uh, I feel like, well, you know, maybe we're getting a little bit out of hand here. W what does that even mean? Well, I mean, 103% of the way to 100 episodes. I mean, hasn't all this just gotten a little bit too much? I mean, shouldn't we set ourselves a new goal? Or should we just continually exceed our 100% every time? We could say we're, what, like 52 point... Or 51.5% of the way to 200 episodes? We could, but that sounds a little unwieldy, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. We'll have to brainstorm off stream. Yeah, we'll have to. So in today's news, we got a story from Kotaku written by Luke Plunkett. This is about the Epic Game Store, Mac's favorite gaming vendor. Uh, it says, there's a big sale right now at Epic Game Store, a time when many users, conditioned by Steam's frequently generous discounts on a huge range of titles, go nuts and buy a ton of stuff real quickly. On Valve's store, that's enough to get you a pile of shame. But on Epic's, it'll get your account blocked for making further purchases. Via Game Revolution, this is a situation streamer Patrick Bolvin recently found himself in. 
uh, he says, there's a tweet here. He says, so I can confirm that me buying a whopping five games ranging from five bucks to 50 on the Epic Store flagged my account for possible fraudulent. Uh, maybe if you guys had a shopping cart, it would make it easier, he says. That's, that's with a little bit of editing for language on my part. Uh, Nick Chester from Epic PR confirmed with Game Revolution that, quote, this was a result of our aggressive fraud rules and that players, if players run into this issue, they should contact player support so we can investigate. What a weird store, the author says. Mac, have you ever bought anything from the Epic Game Store? Never. Will you ever buy anything from the Epic Game Store? It's unlikely. Okay, I'm glad you didn't say never, because never say never, man. What if they have, like, all the Mega Man games for, like, a penny? You might have to hop in. Well, at um, the current moment, the Epic Store has a lot of issues with uh, data security. Not that any place in the world is really data secure. Basically, if you put something on the internet, you should be able, ready, and willing to accept the fact that people are going to slap you with that uh, sometime in the future. Uh, anything you put online is not private, no matter how much you might want it to be. But um, I understand that the Epic's Game Store has a lot of issues with, uh, you know, with data security problems, which, uh, especially when you're dealing with transactions, is kind of that's 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 too far for me. Yeah, I'm with you, and I know you're not a fan of it, and I'm not a fan of it. I don't like that they're taking some games that typically would have been more widely available on PC and making them exclusive to the Epic Store. Now, the games that they've done this with leave me at the moment, but it has happened. Um, and what, what do you think about this whole issue, though, as far as them trying to block fraud by banning people who have bought a bunch of games within a short time period? Do you think that's too aggressive, or do you think it's, it's smart? What are your thoughts? It's definitely too aggressive. I mean, anytime your uh, measures wind up catching normal people in the mix, then you know that it's too aggressive. And I think that's true of almost anything. If your countermeasures for whatever it might be are catching innocent folk, it's too aggressive. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of the point of presumption of innocence in a legal stance. But, you know, we're talking video games, not legalese. At least not yet. At least not yet. That's right. Well, we got another news story since we're talking video games. This is on GameInformer.com by Suriel Vasquez. This is about Call of Duty, Mac's favorite game. Uh, it says uh, Activision has released at one Call of Duty game, at least one Call of Duty game, every year since 2005. And while we haven't heard much about this series 2019 entry, it's safe to say it'll make it out before the end of the year. As for the entry after that, the one releasing in 2020, we can't be as sure. A new report from Kotaku indicates that in order to keep up its yearly release schedule, Activision has shifted duties around a bit. Currently, we get a new Call of Duty year every... I think it's meant to say year after year from one of three major studios, which other studios pitching in to help. Treyarch, Infinity Ward, and Sledgehammer, with each releasing a new game every three years. 2020 was previously on track to see the next game from Sledgehammer and Raven, uh, but we'll now see another Treyarch-helmed Black Ops game, which, considering Black Ops 4 released just this year, would mean the team would have to turn another game in two years as opposed to the usual three. So, Mac, it goes on to say that the reason for this is tension between Raven and Sledgehammer, um, and that they've been arguing about the project, and that the current state of it is that it's really just a huge mess. Now, I guess I want to get your perspective as a businessman on this one. Because if you're doing something once a year, you're releasing a new product every year to the people. And let's say one year that product isn't up to par. 
Do you think it's a bad thing to just take a year off or do you think that it's important to stay consistent and stay relevant and kind of give the duties to someone else to fix that product? What do you think, man? Honestly, I would say it depends on the degree to which the issue was. Like, if the issue was big enough that everything was completely botched, I think, yeah, take time off, rework things, come back to the normal release schedule after you feel like you've addressed the problems that led to deficiency in the previous year. But if it's a concern, you know, if it, if it just is something that didn't land, um, maybe you try, maybe you come back and try again. Maybe it's just kind of like a joke that didn't land well, you know, it's I, well I work know out nothing, the case. I know nothing about that. Of course not. You're perfect every time. No, my jokes suck a lot of the time, actually, when they're new, especially. Um, no, I agree with you, man. I mean, it, it really does depend on the extent to which this is an issue. Um, they have a tradition of putting a game out every year. It's working for them. It's been working since 2005. So what's that? 14 years. Um, and they don't seem to be losing any steam. So I guess I can't blame them. I mean, once upon a time, for those of you who follow Call of Duty, there were only two studios working on it, Infinity Ward and Treyarch. And every other year they would rotate. They just a few years ago added Sledgehammer and Raven into the mix. So, I mean, all they're doing is really going back to the way things used to be done. This is not new territory for Treyarch as far as their ability to make a biannual game while Infinity Ward makes one every other year. So I think they're going to be just fine. So moving on to the next news story... Um, let's talk about Earthworm Jim. Do you ever play Earthworm Jim, Mac? Um, I don't recollect having played much of Earthworm Jim. Now, more important, you ever watched the Earthworm Jim cartoon? I did not, unfortunately. I think it was, I think it was phenomenal. Fantastic and phenomenal. We're gonna, we're gonna coin that phrase. Um, I thought it was a really good show and I really enjoyed the game as well. And now... Because we're about to celebrate 25 years of it, we can get a new SNES cartridge being released in relation to Earthworm Jim. It says, and this is by Seth G. Macy on IGN, uh, Earthworm Jim, the space-faring, head-whipping sci-fi dirt eater from the 16-bit days of yore, is getting a special Super NES cartridge reissue from I Am 8-Bit. It seems almost quaint now, but there was a time when no video game company worth its salt didn't have a cartoon mascot. Some of those mascots, like Arrow the Acrobat, haven't been heard from in years, but with others like Sonic and Mario being considered icons. One of nature's lowliest creatures, the Earthworm, was an unlikely choice for a mascot, but Earthworm Jim persevered, starring in four different games in the 1990s, even a short-lived kids' WB animated series. And I just remember the theme song of that series being really cool. Um, Would you mind me. treating us to a vocal rendition? I just remember it was like, Earthworm Jim, da-na-na-na-na-na. Earthworm Jim, Earthworm Jim, or something like that. It was pretty. Um, cool. After the show, I will, of course, when editing the stuff together, will overlay the song so we can compare how close he how got. How accurately it. I was, yeah. I I'm just kidding. We wouldn't do that because then we would probably get struck or strikes or That's whatever right. it is for podcasts. That's right. Well, it says about Earthworm Jim, it says the carts are limited to 2,000 and approximately 1 in 20 boxes contains a special cow print version of the cart. There are other retro pack-in surprises as well. This isn't I Am Bits. I, I Am 8-Bit's first foray into the world of collectible anniversary editions for Super NES, Mega Man X, and Mega Man 2 
two carts were released for the Blue Bomber's 30th anniversary, and the special Street Fighter 2 cart came out for the game's 30th as well. Mac, did you pick up those Mega Man cartridges? I did not, because I do have my Flash cartridge, so I feel like I'm good on actual cartridges. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I feel like as long as I can play the game, I don't need a cartridge of it that looks different and just contains the ROM. That's that's my opinion. So anyway, um, this is something that'll probably go pretty quickly. I think there's enough people who just are enthusiasts of retro games that this will sell. Um, now, Mac, let's move on to one of the bigger news stories. And we're short on news stories today. We'll, uh, we'll keep it moving. This is going to be our last one. Um, this is on IGN.com, and it deals with the PlayStation 5. Um, and Mac, while we're reading this, I kind of want you to think about like the importance of load times and as a gamer, how important those are to you, because this is dealing with the PS5 and its load times. Um, this is, like I said, on IGN and it is written by Adam Bankhurst. It says a new video posted by Wall Street Journal's Takashi Mochizuki may have given us our first look at the potential power of the PlayStation 5. Mochizuki tweeted out a video saying that this was Sony's official video comparing performance of PS4 Pro versus next-gen PlayStation. The video compares loading times and performance of Marvel's Spider-Man between a PS4 Pro and the potentially named PS5. And it is nearly identical to the description given in Wired's interview with PS5 lead architect Mark Cerny that revealed the first details. So it goes on to say, while the quality isn't great and it appears that to have been recorded on a phone or similar device, uh, it falls in line with the Wired interview. I'm trying to see the piece that says how quick it loads. Um, and it's not going to say. So here's here's the bottom line, Mac. Supposedly... The PS5 can load games very, very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. you, we've all played games where you know you're in an open world, for example, and you're running between areas, and it has to stop to load the next area. What do you think, man? Does this matter to gamers? Does it matter to you to have super fast, almost instantaneous load times? Not really. Uh, keep in mind, though, I do spend a lot of my time in the past of video games, and so I'm used to longer load times. Um, faster load times are nice, but it's certainly not something that is a deal maker or deal breaker for me. I'm the same way. I will say that in some games it does mess up immersiveness. Um, if anyone here plays Monster Hunter, you know that when you're playing like uh, Monster Hunter Ultimate on the Switch, for example, or back in the day, Monster Hunter Try on the Wii, there's probably nine areas in each map, or ten maybe, you're running between them, chasing the monster. The monster can go between areas, right? And as you're going between them, it takes, you know, a good five to seven seconds to load each area, if not more. And if you're in the middle of a battle, that kind of does mess up the immersiveness. It also gives you a chance to breathe, take a sip of your drink, do what you need to do, blow your nose. But I, I just feel like it messes up immersiveness. Now, that said, do I think that a fast load time is going to be a selling point for a console that's rumored to be $500? Not for me. Um, I'm pretty content with where load times are at on current gen hardware. And so I think this is a good move, but I don't think that it's going to be as big a deal to gamers as Sony is making it out to be. So, Mac, any last words on that, man? Not really. All right. Well, that has been our news for the week. Over to you, buddy. All right. Well, now that we've taken a look at video games going on right now, let's take a little step into the past. And uh, this past week, in years that have gone before, have been 
I'll be honest, a little less interesting from the uh, from the historical perspective. So I only have two games to talk about, but they are two still very good ones. One was released in the year 2000 for the PlayStation, and that would be Vagrant Story. So, um, Vagrant Story, I feel like, is one of those games on the PlayStation the original PlayStation, that is, that uh, winds up going unnoticed for the most part by a lot of people. Um, It instantly uh, had sort of a high regard in my book because it takes place in the same... Um, in the same game world as Final Fantasy Tactics, which is, you know, my f- probably one of my favorite games of all time. So uh, occurring in the same world, but a little while, uh, a little later on in the timeline is very, very cool, at least for me. Uh, Vagrant Story was this sort of, uh, it was a sort of third person RPG. You went through these, uh, through these rooms, um, there was basically this uh, city that had a big undead incursion underneath its streets, like in the dungeons and the sewers and tunnels and things. And uh, you were actually chasing down some more or less uh, lawbreakers. Uh, what was really interesting about this whole game, though, is that there was a super in-depth system for both uh, attack and defense where your weapons would level up against several, like, if you will, subgenres of enemies at the decrease of others. So, like, you might level up your sword against uh, things like undead, but then it would be less effective against, you know, normal humans or various types of monsters. Uh, so it, it was really interesting, and you could kind of get... You know, you could kind of drop into this black hole of ever-increasing trying to minimize this or maximize that for the upcoming battles. Um, a- a- anyway, it had a really in-depth combat system is what I'm getting for getting at. And that's uh, something that actually a lot of people considered to be a strike against it because it was very difficult to... Too complicated, yeah. Yeah, and the complicated made it really hard later on in game when you were fighting the bosses. If you had just used one sword kind of the whole way through, which you could do, it didn't have good enough damage against the specific types later on for you to really keep up with things. So, uh, so yeah, gets a little bit of a bad rap, but I thought it was great. Cool. Um, and then the other one that I want to highlight from 2006... Uh, released for the Wii was New Super Mario Brothers. Oh, phenomenal game. Um, Now, I probably should have held off. A couple of weeks ago, I told that story as part of Legalese about the guy who uh, in Australia who uh, uploaded the New Super Mario Brothers Wii about like six days in advance of the release um, and all the drama that went on with that. Uh, so I probably should have saved that for today because that'd be more fitting. But uh, today in 2006 is when New Super Mario Brothers Wii came out. Or actually, hang on, yeah, 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 would have been, uh, would have been, would have been back then. At least uh, when it came out in the United States. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that's just. I mean, now New Super Mario Brothers Wii an excellent uh, an excellent continuation of the franchise. I feel like New Super Mario Brothers Wii 
uh, expanded just enough on the classic flavor to make it. I, I feel like it's an it was an instant classic, honestly. Um, but yeah, so that's what we had today for a little bit of uh, video game history. Unless, of course, Mr. Nice Guy, you have anything you want to add? Any the fond only, memories? The only thing, <clears throat> yeah, the only thing I'll add is that Super Mario Brothers Wii. And people can correct me in the chat or later on if I'm wrong, but one of, if not the first co-op Mario platforming game. Um, so in other words, you could have up to four people platforming, running around the same level at the same time. Great for anyone who has kids, anyone who has a spouse that's like a casual gamer because it's not the most challenging game. Uh, and I remember my wife and I playing this when we first got married. It's just a fun game. You know, to mess around and, and just do some jumping around. It's fun, so. Nice. Well, yeah, that's that's what I had for today, and I'm glad that you enjoyed these as well. Some people in the chat have fond memories of it, too. Some would say that Super Mario Brothers Wii is the equivalent of Super Mario Brothers 4. Um, just because of the timing and how it was like an upgrade in graphics from Mario 3 and whatnot. So, anyway, Mac, we will move on to our next segment. The topic of the week, a segment where we talk about something that's relevant in gaming today and give our opinions on it. Now, Mac, this is something that kind of rocked the industry, this news story, uh, and it's probably the biggest news of the past couple weeks, so let's jump right in. This is on GameSpot.com, and the article is by Steve Watts. Microsoft and Sony, the companies behind Xbox One and PS4 respectively, revealed this week that they have established a strategic partnership. The two companies plan on sharing technology and information going forward and build upon shared infrastructures for some of their future initiatives. Nowhere in the announcement are Xbox or PlayStation named, but its wording implies Microsoft and Sony's partnership will specifically focus on consumer entertainment platforms like gaming. Specifically, the agreement, a memorandum of understanding, says that the two will jointly develop future cloud solutions within Microsoft Azure. It also says that Sony will use Microsoft Azure for its own game and content streaming services. Although Sony's PlayStation Now is not mentioned specifically, including a push to build better tools for content creators. The two are also committing to work together on semiconductors and artificial intelligence. Um, I'm going to end with this quote here from the president of Sony. It says, PlayStation itself came about through the integration of creativity and technology. Sony president Kenichiro Yoshida said in an announcement, Our mission is to seamlessly evolve this platform as one that continues to deliver the best and most immersive entertainment experiences together with a cloud environment that ensures the best possible experience anytime, anywhere. For many years, Microsoft has been a key business partner for us, though of course the two companies have also been competing in some areas. I believe that our joint development of future cloud solutions will contribute greatly to the advancement of interactive content. Mac, that's an earful I know, man. But what do you think, man? Microsoft and Sony collaborating cloud services. I mean, is this a sign of a of like no more three console generations, but maybe a two console generation? I don't know. Um, it it sounds a bit like that, especially because let's be honest. What is it that makes two consoles separate consoles? And that's usually because they are incompatible with each other. 
it sounds like this, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, they talked about sharing technology. So that sounds like it's blurring the lines now. There Now, maybe that might just be, and and I think this might be the most, uh, uh, you know, I, this. my reading of it is maybe the only thing we should take from this is that they are going to have cross-play, cross-platform compatibility on all of their games because that is a shared technology combined with appropriate cloud solutions, right? So I think what they're talking about is cross-compatibility on games. Um, I, I mean, I, because I think, honestly, I think that the... I think that they're making... I think both companies are making too much money from their consoles for them to be willing to, uh, you know, throw in together. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but I will say this. When you combine the fact that they're doing this cloud stuff and also artificial intelligence and whatnot together, and you combine that with the fact that recently there's a game called Fortnite that was made cross-play between consoles. Um, there's a game called Cuphead that was a Microsoft exclusive and is now a Nintendo, ex- not exclusive, but is also now on the Nintendo Switch, um, just combined with all of the other stuff we're seeing. And I think Minecraft might be cross-play as well. Someone let me know in the chat. I guess what I'm trying to say is we've seen a lot more collaboration this gen than we have ever seen in the past. And now we're seeing even more. Um, people have speculated in the past that this could be the last generation of consoles. Obviously, they're wrong because we know PS5 is coming and a new Xbox is coming. But with them collaborating to do a cloud-based thing that can be accessible anytime, anywhere, maybe next-gen really is the last gen of, of console hardware, Mac. I mean, it definitely could be. After all, the VP of uh, VP of Microsoft's gaming development has talked very extensively about how they want to do away with that entirely, so that you can play your game, you know, on your phone, pick it up over on your console, you know, stuff like that. Um, he, they've talked about that, and Sony's also talked about stuff like that as well. So, I mean, I don't think it's too far-fetched, but I'm just... I, I think that we're only ready as of yet. I don't think we're ready for anything more than the cross-play. Yeah, and, you know, we also we've talked about the Google Stadia, right? Mm-hmm. And how it's going to be accessible basically from any screen that's compatible. So, I mean, they could be looking at Google Stadia saying, hey... They're not making people buy additional hardware. They're saying, hey, if you have a tablet, you can basically access this cloud service anywhere. And maybe they're looking to collaborate and do something similar. So we'll have to wait and see if they do it. I hope it's available on iOS. And on that note, Mac, that has been our topic of the week. Back over to you, buddy. All right. Well, now I would like to show us all a uh, little game that's being made, being crowdfunded, frankly. And uh, in this segment that we call Kick or Kickstart, where we discuss the virtues, the vices, and then we talk about whether or not we think it should be kicked out of here or kickstarted, I have to present to you Cavern, the Depths of Shadows. So, uh, for starters, RPG third person uh action packed intense combat um you can of course watch the uh watch the video there i've put the link in the chat as always for those of you who are here with us live 
Um, it definitely has a little bit of a Dark Souls-y type feel to it. Um, Dark Souls and, you know, and company. Uh, a little bit more light than, uh, than those ones, but, you know, hey, that's just in the promotional stills. Any hoodly-doodly. Um, what they're going for is Any hoodly-doodly. Going... I like it, Mac. I like hey. it. I uh, went to the Ned Flanders School of uh, of superlatives, so uh, thankfully, dankly, for your uh, for your comment. Oakley, um, Oakley. <laughs> so uh, they're looking for ninety six thousand dollars in order to bring this uh, bring this to life. Um, on their promotional materials, they are saying that they're going to have a, a release for Steam on PC, for Xbox and PlayStation. Um, their hope is to have the completed game ready to deliver in March 2020. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of what they're looking at. Um, they talk a lot about the combat because it's very combat-centered game. Uh, mentioning things like stamina man- management, uh, parrying, magic, and uh, and the various tools that you can use. Uh, several interesting uh, stretch goals that they're going for. Of course, ninety-six thousand is is where they're putting their uh, what they need to get started. Um, at a hundred thousand, they're going to put more time and effort into localization support, so more languages, you know, translations. Uh, at 150,000 multiplayer modes, uh, and 200,000 if you want full character customization. And that option is going to be a bit more along the lines of the sort of Skyrim stuff. They are definitely going to have uh, customization in the sort of preset, you know, variety, or at least uh, uh, from what I read in the Kickstarter. But in order to get something quite as in-depth as what we might be used to in uh, in Skyrim and company, we'd need, uh, you know, it'd need to ra- raise 200,000. Uh, there are several other interesting goals that they have along the way, but that's, you know, uh, but that's where it goes. Now, on the subject of the game itself, they say that they're reaching out to Kickstarter because without proper funding, it would take us far too long to finish Cavern. So we decided to come to Kickstarter in order to get the project up and running. And with your support, we can turn this into a seriously epic game. And they also do put the nods to the fact that they are looking for, uh, they're looking for feedback along the way so that people can give their, you know, their ideas and their comments and they can help put it all together in a really good experience for all the players. Um, now, if you are someone who's, you know, uh, won over by the uh, by the words and by the you know uh, the images and video that you can see, in order to get a um, uh, to get a copy of it, your minimum buy-in is fifteen dollars for a copy of this game. If you want to get uh, the uh, say things like the early access, the beta access, um, is that? Yeah, beta access comes in at $50 if you want to be more in that. $80 if you're curious uh, to be a part of the alpha access, which um, says should be ready to go in January. The beta access should be ready to go in February. And of course, like I said before, the full game in, in March. So, Mr. Nice Guy, let's tear it apart, shall we? Let's do it! 
Um, so I'll fire the first shot. Go for it, man. And I will say that I find, um, you know, we have limited information as to what is already complete on the game. But I do think that uh, that it's uh, very ambitious timelines, given what they're going, especially when we're talking about uh, alpha, beta access, and full release. Um, normally, alpha access, you should have a much longer period of time uh, before you go to beta. Beta's kind of working out those last little bugs before you go, you know, before you go to release. Whereas alpha access is, you know, a lot of things in the game should still be very much in question or in flux. And and maybe I have a bad idea or bad concept in my head of how alpha and beta access and regular release should be, but I, I feel like many of the games I've participated in alpha uh, testing and alpha participation have very much changed drastically from alpha to beta and then of course to actual release so so that's that's the first shot mr nice guy the second shot please um honestly dude i really like this like it just looks cool i mean it's almost kind of cliche we have so many rpgs um and so many you know dark souls skyrim bloodborne type games you know but this mm-hmm. looks really cool. Um, the only thing that caught my eye, or I should say the one thing that I noticed immediately, is it says limitless creativity. Kickstarter allows for endless possibilities when it comes to flex goals and rewards. The more Cavern is funded, the more awesome it will be. Uh, full character customization, new DLCs, console ports, battle royale, and tons more. Now, on the one hand, battle royale modes are fun, I, or games are fun, I should say. But I don't know if, if every game needs to have a battle royale just because it's that thing, you know? That's my thing against it. But I will say we've never seen an RPG-style battle royale. So that could be kind of cool. But I, I feel like maybe they're doing that just because everyone else is doing it. Sometimes it's good to just pick one thing and be good at it. Just make a really good game. It looks really clean and polished from this video. Um, don't try to do too much and try to please everybody. So that's my only really big complaint. Well, um, I have a big complaint, and as you know, I need you to show me that you can bring it together, uh, not just tell me. And there's no better way to show than with a playable demo as part of your pitch, and sadly, Cavern has no such playable demo. It's, uh, you know, there are some renders, there's some video, and there is, of course, you know, uh, images, but that doesn't show that you can bring it together. Um, this would be the, these guys' uh, first um, Kickstarter, and I don't know as uh, Magisterian Studios, which is the, uh, you know, which is the name of the place out of uh, Milwaukee, um, I don't know as they've done anything, bef- as they've done uh, a game before. I think this is also going to be their first game so yeah that that just makes me even more even more concerned um and i have no problem with the price that they're asking uh for a copy of the game uh, remind it, me what is the price what is the price again 15 dollars for a copy of the game um uh on steam i uh, think that's see. amazingly reasonable i think that's very reasonable 
Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a great price for it. And, of course, you know, uh, I wish that alpha and beta accesses weren't so much more. You know, it wasn't 50 and $80, respectively. Um, mostly, you know, I, I can understand it being a little bit more than just getting the copy of the game. But, uh, but hey, you know, that much more seems like a bit of a stretch to me. But that's just me. And I'm not actually making games. So, yeah. Uh, that being said, I just don't have faith in uh, these guys here. I can't see anything they've done before, and even though it looks cool and I wish them all the best, I would have to say kick it because there's just too many variables, and maybe I'm a touch biased because this isn't my favorite subgenre of game, but, but still, too many un variables for my taste. I say kick it. Um, I'm going to actually go the other way this time because I, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that the videos look really good. Um, I'm going to say kickstart this, man. I love that they're doing it for $15. How often do we see a game being kickstarted that's $15 or less? I feel like people are starting to ask 20 25 bucks for unproven stuff. And so I think that $15 is that sweet spot. For people who are new to making games, but have the ability to create something that's quality. And based on these videos, it really does look like they have that ability. So I'm going to say kickstart this one. All right. Well, we have a divided room. I say kick. Mr. Nice, Ga Mr. nice Guy says kickstart. Those of you who are here with us, feel free to weigh in. And uh, those of you listening to us after the fact, we are tallying the results from here. So just yell it out. But uh, that has been our kick or kickstart for the day all right well ladies and gentlemen boys and girls it's time for our next segment everyone's favorite nerdy video game show the nerd flex where i ask max some questions and we answer them together so mac we have a few nerdy questions that someone sent me today and we're gonna have to try to figure these out together now these are shorter than the other okay. ones, but they are kind of tricky. Uh, unless you like already know the answer, it's a little bit harder to guess, I think. So here's question number one. And you know what's interesting? This is actually about one of my favorite arcade games. Um, it says, the names of the ghosts who chase Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man are Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and stinky. Ah, and and okay. by the way, I should have explained. So the way that this game works, for those of you who are here new, um, one of us reads a question. We have to figure out what is wrong with that. Or we read a statement, rather. What We have to figure out what is wrong with that statement and correct it in order to get it right. So I'll read that again. The names of the ghosts who chase Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man are Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Stinky. Um, so actually this is one of the, I feel very confident that I know this one. I believe the name of the last ghost is Clyde. And I don't know the name of the ghost, but I, it seems to me that stinky is not a name that they would give a ghost. I could be wrong though. Cause like it was a quirky time, but that was the thing that I thought too. Cause it didn't have a year in this question. And, and I'm pretty sure the only thing that I thought might have been wrong is that it's the names of the ghosts are, are for only Pac-Man or only for Miss Pac-Man or something rather than both of them. 
but I think that the ghosts probably have the same name. So I'm going to agree with you that it's not stinky. And I don't, I didn't know it was Clyde, but we'll go with Clyde. Final I'm, answer. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Final answer, Clyde. Okay, so it says the names. Uh, so the names of the ghosts who chase Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man are Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde. Dude, you were Ooh. right. How do you even know that? Um. So uh, there is a song. Um. Well, there's a musical group called The Adventures of Dwayne and Brando, and it was a musical comedy group. Um, I don't think they've done anything lately, but one of the songs that they did was about uh, Pac-Man. And uh, in it, they introduced themselves. The ghosts introduced themselves. And I was pretty sure that the last one was named Clyde from that song. So, uh, so yeah, I listened to nerdy music. So that's how I'm flexing these nerd muscles today. Dude, that's awesome. Well, this next one, we so we're one for one. This next one, and these are easy, um, or I should say shorter at least, is about Star Trek. And I don't know anything about Star Trek. so Don't worry, I am here for you, my friend. I'm going to lean on you. Um, when you're not strong, <laughs> I'll flex these muscles. It says, the captain of the Enterprise in the pilot episode of Star Trek was named Captain Shepard. Um... I believe you'll find it was Captain Pike was the name in the, if we're talking about the pilot episode of uh, Star Trek, the original series from, you know, 1960s, it was Captain Pike. Um, Oh, gosh. And I can't remember the name of the pilot episode. It did have a name. And we saw Captain Pike later on. In uh, the original series, I believe in season three, uh, I think it was, there was a time where they like brought him back on and he stood this weird kind of trial for his crimes that he committed during the pilot episode. And so they reused footage and such from that because I, I think most people didn't see the pilot of Star Trek. Although now I'm getting into territory that I don't feel so comfortable with. So, yeah, Captain Pike. Wow. Wow. See, and I know nothing about Star Trek. I don't think I've ever made it through a whole episode. Um, But when it said Captain Shepard, I immediately thought about Mass Effect and thought that it was trying to mislead with the name. So I'll go with you. Let's see what it says. Um, The captain of the Enterprise in the pilot episode of Star Trek was Captain Pike. You got to trust was, your instincts, Mr. Nice Guy. There was no you doubt knew. in my mind. Once you went on that diatribe about and we saw him again in the third season. And by the way, he had green hair and, you know, he ate a sandwich holding it with his left hand. I knew that you actually knew. So here's one that's a little bit longer to wrap things up. Um, this is kind of a word like a definition thing. So it says the difference between a freak and a geek. Back in the days of carnival slide or sideshows, freaks were people who were attractions because of mental illnesses. And geeks were people who were attractions because of things they did, like biting the heads of chickens or laying on a bed of nails. Amazing tattooed ladies sort of bridged the gap. So I'll read that again, I guess, Um, unless you already know the answer. Well, I've got a good guess. Okay, uh, I'll read it one more time for you. So it says, The difference between a freak and a geek. Back in the days of carnival sideshows, freaks were people who were attractions because of mental illnesses. Um, And geeks were people who were attractions because of things they did, like biting the heads off of chickens or laying on a bed of nails. Amazing tattooed ladies sort of bridged the gap. 
Okay, so I think uh, that you were that freaks were primarily physical deformities and such, like uh, you know, uh, short folk, uh, the bearded ladies, you know, things like that. Um, whereas I think geeks is correct that it's like people with amazing talents were geeks, and uh, people with some sort of uh, physical whatever were the uh or uh physical things were the freaks and people with amazing skills were the geeks okay at least that's what i think what do you think mr nice guy because i am this is a shot in the dark yeah i'm gonna disagree because i don't remember like a i don't think anyone would pay to see someone bite the head off a chicken and that's the example that it gives so i don't know if I feel like there was only one category and that they were all called freaks. I don't think there was a category called geeks. That's going to be my guess. Although there is a popular show from back in the day called Freaks and Geeks. So who knows? Maybe it was reference to that, but I'm going to stick with my answer. I think they were all called circus freaks and there was no category called geeks. So Okay, let's find final out. Answer. Let's find out. It says... Uh, Back in the day of carnival sideshows, freaks were people who were attractions because of physical deformities, like fish boys or bearded ladies. Uh, the geeks were people who were attractions because of things they did. So that's true. Wow. Mac, you were right, dude. You you got 100% today. Nice. I, I like. Where did these uh, questions come from? Just out of curiosity. So I have a coworker uh, uh-huh. who's into nerdy stuff, and I was like, dude, can you point me to some questions for this podcast I do? Uh, and this person hooked me up with them. It's, I, sh- nice. I say coworker, but it's actually a fellow comedian. Oh, nice. Well, sweet. Well, uh, hats off to a fellow comedian friend of Mr. Nice Guys for these questions. And, uh, and please uh, know that any of you listening after the fact and such, we have, of course, our contact information, you know, where you can email us, where you can tweet or send messages to us. If you want your nerdy questions to be included in an episode of uh, Two Nerds in a Pod, you can get in on this as well. So, uh, so yeah, get us some questions, try and stump us, but please don't everybody try and stump us. Sometimes, sometimes we need to go three for three on an episode. Nerd flex. I forgot to do that at the beginning. (laughs) Next segment, man. It's all you Mac. Okay. Next segment. Uh, I I will get us there. I promise. (laughs) But all right. Um, well, if that's, that's what we got for nerd flex today. So, yes, sir. Uh, now we'll just uh, hop back over to me real quick for a little segment that I call Legalese. Legalese. Um, so this is an interesting one, which I think is going to lead us to a, a, a broader question, um, although it does have a sort of legal bent. You see, I am not a lawyer. I just play one on a podcast. And so sometimes if we look at certain things through a legal questioning stance, we'll come to hopefully some better understandings of how video games influence the world and how the world and laws influence video games. So um, this is uh, a little bit of a throwback. So in Scott County, (coughs) Indiana, a high school senior played a video game during his lunch break on on a Tuesday. He shared some video of the gameplay on Facebook with the caption, quote, finally something better than Pokemon Go, end quote. 
the next day, he was searched, handcuffed, arrested, and held in jail until Thursday on charges of intimidation, at which point he pled not guilty and was released on bail for $1,000. Eventually, the criminal intimidation charges were dismissed. This all happened back in August of last year, but the reason that this came up on my radar is because just recently, um, there's been some legal escalation from the ACLU. So the game in question that the high schooler was playing was called The Walking Dead Our World, which is an augmented reality game that for those of you who don't know, you would uh, pull up your phone and it would overlay, in this case, zombies, or it might be Pokemon, in the case of Pokemon Go, on your phone's screen so that you can interact with the digital, you know, uh, uh, with the digital things, whether that be Pokemon, zombies, you know, whatever, but in the, you know, in sort of a frame of the real world. Um, in this particular game, of course, it was zombies. So zombies would show up, they'd be coming at you, and you would tap the phone, you know, point at the zombie and tap the phone to shoot them. And of course, with most zombie games, the point is to survive the waves coming after you. Uh, so the lawsuit was filed against the school district and the sheriff's department with the claims that, uh, that this high school senior was subjected to a search, handcuffed, arrested and held in jail without any probable cause or reasonable suspicion. They base this off of the fact that when the student was searched, but before he was handcuffed, arrested, and held in jail, that they had, uh, they had discovered no weaponry, um, and they also had no, uh, you know, had nothing aside from this video to indicate that there was any sort of, uh, sort of an issue with this student. Um, they also claim, the ACLU is claiming that the actions taken against this student was based on, uh, was based on his expressive activity of sharing his gameplay in a Facebook post in violation of the First and Fourth Amendments. So, <clears throat> I bring this question up because it's not, uh, we haven't exactly answered the questions yet in the legal system about where the line should be drawn about things. And I think it's a valuable thing for us to now kind of uh, say that even though there's no legal, uh, you know, 100% good show or good way to show right now where the line is, where should it be? Um, obviously, schools have, you know, schools need to be careful, and they need to protect their students. Um, on the other hand, is this a case of going, you know, uh, of taking it to the limit way faster than absolutely necessary? Um, Mr. Naske, do you have any, any feelings on the subject? Yeah, I mean, I was reading a, a post today, actually. Oh. And it was, it was something different, though. It was about some people who posted something that was hateful on social media. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't say what it was because we don't want to get into it, but it was extremely hateful. Like yeah. a reasonable person would say that's not okay. And it wasn't just that these people did it, but they posted it on like their Instagram or their Snapchat. These are some high school kids. And so the school is taking issue with it. I believe the kids were arrested and, uh, and they're trying to figure out if they can take legal action against them. So, mm -hmm. There's the issue of free speech, you know, can you can you post what you want on social media 
um, as long as it's not threatening an individual or infringing on someone else's rights. And, you know, I think to a certain extent you can, you know, mm-hmm. it, it means you're a bad person, but I think that, that you can do that. And, and as much as I hate to admit it, that people are allowed to post hateful stuff. Um, people are allowed to play video games that are violent as long as they're not infringing on someone else's rights. Now, the lack of understanding of the people who arrested this kid is probably the reason he got arrested. Um, they thought that it was a threat. They thought that it was a danger to, to the other students. And so I can, to a certain extent, respect that. Um, once the fact-finding has happened, I feel like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I feel like he needs to be made whole if that makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. Um, for the time that they wasted and for what they put him through by arresting him over some nonsense. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's my opinion on the issue. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the question was, you know, was kind of broad because all we have now is that the, the charges were dropped clearly at some point in time, they realized that it was maybe an overreaction Uh, Because that's, you know, uh, otherwise the charges probably would not have been dropped for this uh, criminal intimidation as it was originally done. Um, I do feel like surrounding this thing that it's like it's a little much to feel like there's some criminal intimidation to get no real solid evidence. And I mean... If there had been something else to it, like it was a video of shooting zombies, yes, in the school. And I mean, I can understand that. At a period of time, I was actually working on a Left for Dead map, uh, you know, for the original Left for Dead that took place uh, that took place at my university at the time. And uh, I thought better of that project as, uh, you know, certain uh, issues came, uh, came around. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean... Whether we're talking college or high school or anything else, um, schools, yeah, there's there's something uh, something about people's tendency to do the wrong things there and go kind of overboard and be kind of crazy that uh, that I think warrants some amount of response. But I feel like, you know, in this particular instance, they overreacted, they realized that, they dropped the stuff, and um, a lot of what the ACLU does is they will take cases like this where someone has undergone something or has not already been made whole, as you were saying, and then they'll try to pursue it in order to, you know, in order to essentially set the standard for the future is a lot of what these wind up being. And so this is certainly a case in which I am very interested in this case because it could wind up uh, helping to set precedent about what constitutes uh, freedom of speech because there are a lot of issues. On one, there's the you know First Amendment issue of expressing himself, but then there's the expressing himself on social media that is, like you were saying, it's you know, a very much gray area at the moment. This could help to settle that kind of question. The Fourth Amendment thing I think is really sketchy because, as I've said, my perspectives about the internet is you put it out there, it is public. It is putting your garbage can out on the corner, essentially. You know, nothing that you post on social media can reasonably expected to be, you know, uh, can be there. Of course, there's... Fourth Amendment is primarily related to the unreasonable search of his backpack, 
But, uh, but again, I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Anyway, now I'm just, you know, rambling. Point being is I think it's interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And, uh, you know, uh, Indiana ACLU versus uh, the Scott County School District and Sheriff's Departments. We'll see where it goes. But uh, it could be something that comes back up in a future legalese. And that's what I've got for you today. Mac, that was phenomenal, man. Thank you for sharing that. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've come to the end of another episode of Two Nerds in a Pod. But before we go, we like to do one last segment called What We've Been Watching and What We've Been Playing, where we talk about just that, the cool nerdy stuff that we've been watching and the cool nerdy stuff that we've been playing. And if you're here, you have a role to play. We want to know the cool nerdy stuff that you have been into because we're always looking for cool nerdy stuff to watch and to play. So let us know in the chat. Mac, I've been getting back into a show that I believe you gave up on, unfortunately. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and it's it's really good, man. I feel like this show has really maintained um, as someone who's been watching it since day one. And I remember the first episode came out when my second son was born. Um, we were in the hospital, my wife and I, and she hadn't gone into labor yet. But I remember Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came out, and I remember we were watching the very first episode like while we were in the hospital waiting for things to go down. So it ha- always has a special place in my heart. Um, and this season is just as good as the others. Uh, I'm excited to see how they tie in the Avengers to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now that we're done with the Avengers and it's all Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. So we'll see what happens. Um, what else, man? That's I think that's what I've been watching. Um, as far as what I've been playing been playing a little bit of apex legends in fact i did get a stream in last night and it was a lot of fun i hadn't streamed in a while uh but hung out with the nice guy nation and we uh we got some uh apex legends in we even got a win mac it's a battle royale game so when you get a win it's kind of a big deal um still doing super smash brothers with the kids uh messing around on the arcade machine we played some simpsons this weekend on the arcade and you know what that's the first arcade game that I ever played. Uh, and so it's funny because with, with arcades, you know, you can legally have these games on them. And my kids were playing and I was like, you guys know back in the day you had to put a quarter in every time you lost. And they were like, what? How did you do that? And I was like, yeah, you had to put a new quarter in every single time. So gave them a little history lesson there. Uh, that's all I'll share for this week, Mac. How about you, man? What you been into? Um, well, for the most part, I've been watching Lucifer with uh, with my wife. Uh, it's basically a cop procedural, but with the twist that it uh, that loose that you know the devil takes a holiday, and he's also kind of a guy who's annoyed that he always gets a bad rap because he's not really a bad guy. At least he doesn't think he is. So it's definitely an interesting procedural, you know, crime uh, cop drama. Um, very formulaic, but kind of just what you want when you want to relax and watch something. So we're into the second season now. Uh, I've been watching more of that new DuckTales and, ah, just love it to pieces. Dude, it's really good. Yeah, I know. Have you been, have you been catching up? I have, yeah. My kids were into it and at first I was like, ah, but then like I just sat down and watched it and it's great. I was thinking there's no way this can hold up to the original, but it's, it's really good. I am so glad. I'm so happy to hear you say that because, yeah, I think it's phenomenal. Um, and and that's kind of all that I've been watching. As for playing, I've been playing a couple of Metroidvanias, Chasm, as I as I always do, and uh, 
playing back through some Sundered, which is uh, another fun Metroidvania. I've actually been drawing some inspiration off of Sundered for some of the stuff in some of the tabletop games. So, uh, But I will just leave it at that. Dude, um, real quick, speaking of Metroidvanias, did you see the tweet that I sent you? Um, yeah, about Guacamele. Guacamele being free on the Steam store. Have you ever played Guacamele? I have not, but since it's free on the Steam store, I would be foolish not to. It's a really good Metroidvania. Like, it was surprisingly good. I think I just got it because it was a free PS Plus title a mm-hmm. couple years ago, but it's it's definitely worth your time. Well, it's on the list now, so I'll be looking into that one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I've already got it added to my library. But, uh, but yeah, so that's what I had for what I've been watching, what I've been playing. Uh, for recommendations, we have the Umbrella Academy and the Borderlands games. Um, I had some, mm, and I, I have some feelings about, uh, the Umbrella Academy, but the Borderlands games, definitely fantastic. So, yeah, that's what we've got for this last segment. I forgot to mention that I've been replaying Borderlands 2. Uh, in preparation of Borderlands 3. And that game still holds up. Like, it's it's a prime example of how you don't have to make a game with, like, the best graphics. Using, like, retro shell, cell shading graphics is why that game still stands up today, holds up today. So, phenomenal game. Well, Mac, I'm going to wrap it up unless you have any more messages for the people. Love you. All right, let's do it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for tuning in to episode number 103 of Two Nerds in a Pod. We appreciate you. You're the best viewers on Twitch. And we'll be back right here next week on twitch.tv backslash 2 p.m. What am I talking about? I was looking at a text. Uh, twitch.tv backslash Two Nerds in a Pod, 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain. Same bat place, same bat time, same bat rhymes. Keep it nerdy, y'all. Deuces. See ya.